Welcome to the Remembering Ethan podcast. I'm Chris Tafoya. My guest today is Ashley Norton. Ashley was a friend, bandmate, and former girlfriend of Ethan's. I met Ashley around the same time that I met Jay Allen. They popped onto the music scene about around the same year with a duo they called Jay and Ash. She spent a lot of time with Ethan, and eventually they formed the band Delcoa, which included Tony King, Jay Pohl, uh, Jay Allen, of course, and Ethan. Ashley currently lives in California and still performs today. She is about 20 years deep into her music career and has played numerous shows. Um, she's been in several different bands and still writes and records her own music. When I contacted Ashley to talk about Ethan, she was happy to share her thoughts and memories of her time with him. So here's my conversation with Ashley Norton. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Ashley. How are you? Chris Tafoya, as I live and breathe. Dude, it's been so a while. Yeah, good to see you. Too. How have you been? I've been great. Just um, God, working like crazy. You know, it's it's such a such a departure from 2020. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah. Well, you know, I I see you on I see you on the socials, and I see that you're pretty busy with your gigs and stuff. So before we get into Ethan, why don't you um, update us on what you've been up to the past few years? Yeah, well, in um, in 2020, I um, I moved to California. I got engaged, and I'm married now. But uh, it took me to his town of San Diego, and we kind of started fresh in a new town that we moved about 45 minutes inland to this awesome little place called Ramona, and we just fell in love with it here. And um, you know, it was in the middle of the lockdown when we moved here, and he's like, "Hey, you want to move to this town called Ramona?" I was like, "Sure." And so I moved here, just not really knowing anything about it. And um, one day I went to the to the store because it was open again finally. And I was talking to this girl who told me there were 40 wineries here. And I was like, what? There's 40 wineries here in Ramona? She's like, yeah, this is a huge wine region. I had no clue. And I went home and I'm like, babe, I'm going to be the winery musician. That's what's going to happen. He's like, okay. So we, so that's kind of what happened. I started putting, you know, things started slowly opening back up and I put myself out there just, you know, meeting all the local musicians and, and visiting all the wineries. And then I started Lady Psychiatrist Booth with my bandmate, Stephanie Groot, which has grown into a, a full band project with all females, my female, female bass, female drums, me, and then Stephanie on violin. We all sing harmony and, um, uh, it's super fun. So we've been recording. So between that and then my solo shows at the wineries and stuff, sure enough, you know, back in 2020, when I, all my gigs were down to like zero to two a month, I'm now gigging like four to five times a week, something like that. It's crazy. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. So you're yeah. able to, to make enough cash to live in that part of the world. <laughs> yeah. Between um, my husband and I, we can make it work. Cause yeah, as, as most people know, it's, it's uh, very expensive to live here in California, but it sure feels worth it sometimes. You know, I had I have moments where I'm just like, God, I just 
I have to gig so much to make ends meet and I have to sing so much with my throat hurts all the time. And I like, why do I do this? Why do I kill myself to live here? And then I have days like yesterday, I went with one of my best friends down to the to the ocean. I met up, we met up with my husband and we went paddle boarding and we took my dog and it was just, the water was perfect. The weather was perfect. We went and got these amazing coffees and we're just paddling all around the boats in the Harbor and I'm paddle past this venue that I play at. And I'm like looking at it from down in the water instead of up on the stage. And then we go home and got invited to this little local hang with all these really cool Ramona people just out in the middle of the country with nothing around but lights and tiki torches and all these friends. And it just felt like the most perfect day. And I was like, okay, this is why we do this. This is why we work so hard for, for, so we can live here and do things like that. Yeah. San Diego is very beautiful. And that sounds like a awesome day that you had. (laughs) It was so good. (laughs) I remember Randy and I used to um, every once in a while on the weekend, if we, if there was a rare weekend where we weren't gigging, or if it was summer, you know, if I was off from work, we would go to San Diego with uh, no plans, like no place to stay, nothing like that. And what we would do was we'd get there, get some tacos, walk around on the beach, do some sightseeing. And then when the sun went down, we'd go grab our guitars from my truck. And this is back before they banned um, fires on the beach. I don't, I don't know if it's still banned or not, but like around 2002 or three. They stopped the fires on the beach, but we would go walk to the fire and tell the people that we would play songs uh, for beer or whatever, you know, and then (laughs) we would always end up like crashing on someone's couch or like we'd always, it was inevitable. I mean, people were just so cool and it was so fun. And there were so many like serendipitous, fun experiences out there. You know, San Diego is really cool. So I get it. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a special place. You know, you, you know there's a mass exodus going on. <laughs> I'm, the, sure. I'm the only asshole moving here, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say asshole, but. <laughs> you know, some, people might, some people might scratch their head, but I don't know, dude, I think California is cold. No matter where you live and what you do, as long as you're happy, that's what matters, right? Yeah. Yeah. I sure am. Things, things are really good. Things are, it was it's weird because you know we went um, as you know I was in this band called Witherward for for many years and we were we were on tour permanently and we just threw everything into storage and then we went all over the um, Europe and the United States for like six years we just didn't stop and and then 2020 came to a crashing halt and. I was like, now what, you know? And so I love being stable and just being, you know, and I still tour a little bit because I still love that part of things, but just to, to have like a roof and, and a community and, and a husband and a dog feels really good. <laughs> when you were out in Europe, did you ever run across Mike Mercer? I didn't. We talked a bunch, but I never made it to his area. Um, I would mostly tour through England and Scotland, Germany um, was a big one. And then like the Netherlands. And that's kind of it. And my sister lived in France and she now lives in Spain. But I've talked to Mike a bunch about touring through Europe. And he's actually given me some some contacts of places to play. And I think I've done the same for him. But I, I'm always like, I'm going to make it there one day. But, you know, it hasn't happened. Yeah. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, because he's more he's northern Europe, right? Sweden, like North. Yeah, was he yeah. in Sweden? 
Yeah, yeah he lives in Motola, Sweden. Very cool, dude. Yeah. All right, well, I guess a good place to start is, uh, do you remember how you met Ethan? Oh, do I? <laughs> oh, yeah. I I think about it all the time. It was it was just one of those Ethan moments. You know, I've listened to to every single episode that you've released on this this podcast so far. And one of the things I love about it is is how similar a lot of the stories are, you know, and they just feel a lot of them feel very like just oh, that's an Ethan moment. And I keep I, every time I hear a story and I, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's an Ethan moment. Like just he was just the most unique character <laughs> that I think I've ever met. And, you know, nobody's going to have stories about anybody like this, except for they all feel so similar when everyone's talking about him. So wh- when I met Ethan, um, I can't I can't remember. It was the same place that Shelly met Ethan, actually. And I can't remember the name of it either. Was it Jilly's? Jilly's. Scottsdale? Yeah, I think so. Um, It wasn't a place that I ever really went to, but I've heard the name Jilly's mentioned before. Yeah, Todd and Ethan had a standing open mic there for a while. And I was working at a restaurant across the street and um, I met uh, one of the waitresses there had a boyfriend named Jay Allen. And Jay Allen said, that, hey, there's this really cool open mic across the street. We, you, you should come. You're a singer. I go there. I play sometimes. There's really cool people. You should go play. I was like, all right, I'll go check it out. So I went over there and I was playing pool across the bar because I wasn't at the time I wasn't really a, a gigging musician. I actually didn't even know what that meant before I met Ethan to be a gigging musician. I didn't know. Um, I thought there was, you know, choir music, musicals. Um, and then I thought there was, you know, fame and nothing in between. Uh, it's just a, you know, silly young thought, but uh, I didn't really think much about the in between. So I was there. So I was like, you know, probably 22. I don't know. Just thinking my career was over, which is hilarious because I, I hadn't made it into fame yet. And so I wasn't really focused on music. And then I was playing, I was playing pool across the room and Ethan um, in the microphone started flirting with me <laughs> in front of the hall bar. <laughs> and all of a sudden I hear, hey, and he's pointing at me from the stage with Todd in the microphone. He points at me across the room. I'm playing pool. He goes, I want to hear you sing. (laughs) (laughs) And I go, okay. (laughs) I went up. He had no clue I could sing. I went up and I sang, uh, you were meant for me probably, or, you know, some Sarah McLaughlin song or something. And uh, he was like, holy shit, you really can't sing. He was like, yeah, yeah, you pointed at the right girl. And then I started talking to him. And this was like, uh, this is just one of the most pivotal moments in my entire life. This moment right here. Um, Ethan said to me, I, well, I asked him, I said, well, what do you, what do you do? And he said, I play music. And I said, well, but what do you do? And he goes, music. And I said, yeah, but what do you do like for a living? And he's like, I play music. I was like, I don't understand. 
And he goes, I play music for a living. I get hired by people to play music in bars and private parties and corporations, this and that and that. I was like, really? You can do that? And he goes, yeah, and you can too. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, Chris, here I am, you know, 20 years later, and that's what I'm doing. And I'll never forget that moment. And it shaped everything about who I am today. Crazy, right? Yeah. Even when you don't know Ethan, his words would hold weight, you know, and he was encouraging and um, could help people realize what they could do. And that sounds like a perfect example of him doing that, you know. Yeah. Cool. Well, so, okay. So then you met Ethan and then um, you sang with him that first night and then were you, would you just like return and continue singing? Did you start doing it on your own after you got that encouragement from him or how did it evolve? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, all the things, you know, that I was hooked at that point, I think like many of us, we just, there was a whole little circle of, of people and, um, who would just kind of regularly show up every single week to this open mic. And I would prepare new songs and I would, you know, send them to Ethan and be like, Hey, can I sing this tonight? He's like, sure. I'll learn it. You know? And you know, with Ethan, he'll learn anything or he or just make it up on the spot. Right. And, um, Jay Allen kept going too. And, uh, Jay, uh, Jay Allen was, was, uh, he was in some bands before that. And I think he was mostly a bass player if I remember correctly, but, and then he started playing guitar. And as you know, Jay's, Jay's just an amazing player and singer. And I was like, Hey, would you want to start a duo? And so Jay and I started working on some songs and then we'd go kind of test them out at the open mic. And then Jay got a gig and I started sitting in with him and we just started becoming this thing called Jay and Ash. And, uh, and then one day we were like, okay, let's, let's make this into a full band. And we had a meeting with Ethan in Jay Allen's pool room at his parents' house on Delcoa Avenue. And we said, Hey, would you want to start this? And he goes, <laughs> I've heard like everyone's mentioned this on the podcast before. He goes, yeah. He was, I, I would love to. And I kind of come as this package deal with this a, a drummer named Tony King. And, you know, we love doing original projects and we've got room for one more. So let's, let's meet up with Tony. And I remember Ethan leaving the meeting and Jay and I were like dancing and jumping around the living room or around the pool room. Like, Holy shit. We got Ethan Newman. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> he said, yes, he would be in our band. It was just the coolest moment for us. Like we felt like such rock stars. Cause Ethan had agreed to do a project with us. When you guys first started playing together, I, rem- I remember him talking about it, you know, oh, I got this new project with Jay and, and it, he was talking a lot about Jay and you both before I met you guys. Um, I think I he had taken me to see the Jay and Ash uh, duo that you had before you guys started Delco. I saw you out a couple times. And um, just like, again, just like other people mentioning in the podcast, you know, he was all very proud of you guys and like watching you and, you know, with that gleam in his eye well now before you got delcoa started though did ethan have anything to do with um you know encouraging you and jay to start performing out i mean did he have anything to do with you guys getting out and starting to perform before you started delcoa was he involved in that process at all 
Well, yeah, as far as, um, you know, we just kind of aimed to be Ethan and Todd, you know, or Ethan and whatever duo he was in. I think at the time it was mostly just Todd that he was doing duos with for a while. And Jay and I would model our careers after that. And we would ask Ethan, like, hey, where are you playing? How much are you getting? How long are the sets? Um, And he was just an open wealth of information, just was so excited that we were talking about doing this and um, so supportive of it. I mean, he's never been, you know, people can be, musicians can be really coveted about their careers and the things that they have and their bookings and their contacts. And Ethan was never that way. He was always, you know, supportive and, and sharing of it and, and, you know, knew we could do it. And, and we did, I mean, we had to build up a little bit um, and kind of get some better equipment and longer set lists. And, and eventually, you know, we started getting better and especially as a duo, we started getting tighter and Ethan was so, so supportive of it. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was, he's, he was such a, a, a music mentor um, to me and Jay and Shelly and so many artists that were around and you and um, just constantly you know, without knowing it forced us to be better musicians. Sure. Yeah, that's true. Just standing next to him on stage improved your musical ability, you know, because you couldn't help but just like the audience can help but look at him while he was playing and yeah. study his mannerisms and like try to emulate it, you know. So yeah. then so then you and Jay were performing for a while. You asked Ethan to join and then um, you guys got Delcoa going. Tell me a little bit about this, because Delcoa, you guys didn't really do covers other than like, like I remember some Beatles covers and some other things, but it was mostly original music. Did mm-hmm. you bring the songs to Ethan and Tony or, I mean, were they involved in the songwriting? I know that they're really good at arranging. Like me personally, I'd bring them songs and Ethan would suggest little things and Tony would, you know, come up with his awesome beats that somehow he hears the same beat that's in my my head like he would play it and I'd be like oh my gosh see, that's exactly what I was thinking but were they yeah. involved in the songwriting process at all or did you guys just br- write the songs and then bring them yeah it was more that um more what what you experienced we never really wrote anything from top to bottom as the band evolved we would kind of try to do that a little bit more um but towards the beginning in particular, and Jay Allen and I never really wrote together. We would, um, in fact, he was really, he wrote most of the songs, probably a good 75%. And I probably brought in 25%. Um, he was, I'm a much stronger songwriter now than I was back then. Um, Jay had been, I think, doing it for longer. And he was, God, he's always been so profound as a songwriter. So he brought in a lot of these songs and like often Jay and I would, kind of arrange our little thing first and I would put some harmony or backups or whatever on his and I would bring him songs and be like well what about this one and he would I wasn't a guitar player at the time I mean I was but only secretly (laughs) and I would I would give him the chords and he would work out um, the songs with me and then we would bring him to the band and like you said Ethan and, and Tony would would put their flair on it or like okay that's cool but what if we did did a the bridge here instead of here or like that or Ashley 
that's great. You need to modulate. I was like, this song signed Heather. They're like, you need to modulate. I'm like, I can't modulate. I can't sing that high. And they're like, yes, you can. You're going to do it. <laughs> like, damn it. So <laughs> stuff like that would happen. And we, um, we had so much fun in our rehearsals. We didn't have a band name for a long time. In fact, we were, we went through a few different thoughts on what it should be. I think one of them was like Tux 42. I can't even remember how we got to that. And then there was, you know, Jay and Ash. Jay and I had another thing with this percussionist before um, Tony Ethan joined for a short-lived bit called Soulfish. And finally, we're sitting there with Ethan and Tony. And Tony's like, why don't we just call it Delcoa? <laughs> we're like, oh, yeah, that's fabulous. Because it's always where we would rehearse. So we got all these songs rehearsed and we started playing out and we decided to make an album and I can't remember the name of this studio, this, this hippie little studio in Phoenix. We went there and made the album. Um, and then after that, we decided we needed a lead. Our, <laughs> I remember being at this, this gig, God, all these names of these places just escaped me. Um, I, but it was a gig at somewhere in Scottsdale and Ethan would take all the solos because there was one guitar, one bass, drums, and I didn't play an instrument in Delcoa. And Jay Allen, you know, was busy playing, holding the rhythm down. So Jay Allen couldn't really solo because there was no, nothing to hold it down while he was doing that. Sure. And so Ethan would take like all the solos. And I remember after this gig, he goes, hey, do you think I'm playing too many solos? Like, do you think I'm playing too much? <laughs> and I go, well, maybe. And his face, his eyes got so wide, like he got so offended. But I was like, wait, no, you brought it up. <laughs> he was like, oh my God. I was like, no, 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 I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm like, you're freaking amazing. Like, I don't know anyone who could take solos on the bass. But, um, I'm like, but yeah, maybe we need to get like a lead player so we can distribute it a little bit more evenly. And Ethan's like, I totally agree. And that's when we pulled in Jay Poole, who, um, you know, just elevated the band to a whole nother level. Of course. Yeah. I can't remember your question, but <laughs> the, <laughs> that was my answer. Right. <laughs> yeah, I got I got into what you were talking about and forgot my question, too. <laughs> I think we were just, I think I was just asking about like, you know uh if you guys wrote with him or you know how that all worked out but that way i mean you you actually answered a question that i was thinking about which was you know how did jay get involved in the whole thing you know because that's how i met jay was jay pool mm -hmm. um was that you guys were playing with him in delcoa and there were a couple times where i would go see the band and jay would be hanging out with ethan afterwards and we would kind of strike up a conversation but Jay and I were more like acquaintances the whole time I lived there. And then after I left um, is when I started picking his brain about recording and stuff. Cause I knew he had recorded and produced all the Dakoa records and I thought they were really good. And I remember always mm -hmm. being impressed with him playing live, like, wow, this guy's an amazing guitar player, you know? And he was always super sweet, super nice. So after I left, Alan was always so busy that I started emailing Jay Poole and that's how I got to know him. And, um, and then I remember that, um, when he joined you guys, I caught one of the gigs at Wrigley mansion. And I remember just being like, wow, these guys have really taken a leap forward. 
having Jay in the band, you know. And I had seen you oh, a couple yeah. times where Ethan had invited me out to see Delcoa. And you guys were great without Jay Poole, you know, with all the harm. I mean, there was plenty to fill in, you know, your guys' harmonies and stuff like that. But Jay yeah. Poole, yeah, was a great addition. Now, did who was it that knew Jay Poole? Ethan. I think maybe Tony too, but when we sat around going, who, who do we pull in as our lead player? Like, who's it going to be? And it took him two seconds. He kind of went, oh my God, I don't, I know the guy. I know the guy. And there's no way you guys aren't going to agree with me. And he brought Jay Poole out. I think we, cause we were, I think, okay, we were, we had, so Delcoa's thing was we played every Sunday. That evolved because Jay and I picked up a regular Sunday gig at Armitage Wine Bar in DC Ranch. And then when we came into the full band, it turned into a full band, which was hilarious because it's this tiny little wine bar. And here's this hippie band playing in the corner of this like pretentious wine bar every Sunday night. And um, Jay Poole, I think, just kind of showed up. (laughs) And Ethan was like, this is our guy. And Jay Poole sat in with us. I think it was that gig. It was some gig. And we were just like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's our guy. And <laughs> Jay Poole was way into it. And he was just the nicest guy. And God, he brought so much to the band. I, what? Speaking of Armitage Wine Bar, Jay Poole, he was in the band for a while. And one day he got a new neighbor. And he knocked on this neighbor's door to kind of introduce himself or something like that. And the, the neighbor opened the door and it was Steve Gad. Now, Do you know who that is? That name strikes a chord with me, but remind me. Steve Gad is probably one of the most famous drummers in the world. <laughs> like okay. if you Google Steve Gad, you'll be like, Oh my God. I mean, he's played with everybody. And of course, only Jay Poole's the only person, you know, musician in town that would probably recognize him. I don't know if Ethan or Tony would have, but they were all huge fans. So when Jay, I didn't know who he was at the time, but when Jay Poole told us about Steve Gadd, we were, he, that's his neighbor. We are, you know, everyone except me because I didn't know who he was at the time that jaws hit the floor. And then I looked him up and then I was like, Oh my God. Okay. And uh, he goes, yeah, I, I invited him out to play with us at Armitage wine bar. And we were like, what? And man, Steve Gadd freaking showed up and played with Delcoa. And I got to sing baby. I love you with Steve Gadd. It was incredible. We've had, we had a lot of random moments like that at that wine bar. We had like the gin blossom show up. (laughs) That's one time. <laughs> and yeah, that was, that was part of the fun of that gig, though. It was just like, what, what musicians? And we're going to show up and jam with us before we, uh, we lost that gig because eventually the bar was like, you guys are too big for us. And we were so mad at the time, but they were right. And then we scored Wrigley Mansion. We got to play at Wrigley Mansion every single Sunday moving forward, which was awesome. Those, yeah, those were fun days. And, you know, um, I'm really excited because we're getting you guys all together to talk soon next month in November about Delcoa in general. So, you know, all the history and the gigs and that kind of, cause I, I have more Delcoa questions that are popping in my mind, but I'm like, no, I want to save that for when oh, you I, Yeah. I should have saved, I should have saved the Steve Gadd story. They're going to be so mad at me. <laughs> That's a good one. It's a good one, dude. And you should bring it up. Um, just while you were talking, I jumped on my other monitor and looked them up and like, holy shit. 
<laughs> so yeah, after we right. talk, I'm gonna look. That is really cool. And you know, Jay's uh, Jay Poole's, um episode is this Friday. Oh, cool! And he's gonna talk about um, how he met Ethan, and uh -huh. then how Ethan brought him to Delcoa. So I sort of knew a little bit of the backstory, but I was curious about you know your perspective of how Jay joined the group, that kind of thing. So he's gonna he he gets into it a little bit more. But then after our conversation, he was like, you know, talking about how he was excited that when you guys get together and jar each other's memories and stuff, all the all the little details that you'll come up with. So we'll shelf we'll shelf the Delcoa stuff for now, but I'm looking forward to getting a little deeper into it. You know, cool. when I when I think about you playing with Ethan, I feel like you and I have uh, some similarities in the way that well, I mean, I was. I was playing guitar and singing before I met Ethan, but, and I had a couple like loosey goosey projects that I tried, but my first real like organized band was with Ethan and Tony and Randy Cavanaugh and Chris Reedy. And I felt yeah. very lucky that that was so amazing, by the way. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Sorry. Dude. I have to interrupt uh, and just tell you how much I loved and still love your band. Just so just some of oh. the best music, Chris. Very cool. I appreciate it. That's really cool to hear, man. And a couple of people have told me that. And it's, I mean, you know how it is when you're, when you're playing, you're not really thinking about how, you know, well, of course you're thinking about if it's good or not and that kind of thing, but you're just doing what you do and you hope it's okay. So when, you know, uh, some people that I've been talking to, you know, with all you guys from back in the day and the Christopher band days have given me compliments and I really appreciate it because at the time I was thinking this Ah, uh, I can't, I wish, I wish I was better and I wish this and I wish that. And it's really cool, man, that a lot of people were digging it back then. And it, and as you get older, you have that 2020 sight of the past and you're, and you know, and, it, and I think about those days and it's like, yeah, we were awesome, man. It was fun. We were having a great time. And, you know, I don't just think about that band. I think about like going out to watch you guys and going to see Capitol Down and Tate and just the whole experience was cool you know, and, and everybody knowing each other. And there were so many people in that circle that you were constantly meeting people, constantly networking. I remember one time you were doing like an original music showcase and I showed up and did a couple of acoustic tunes. You know, we had a lot of interactions outside of Ethan's world. And um, just that whole era was so cool. And I appreciate you saying that you dug what we were doing back then. I didn't know what I was doing, but I'm glad it came across well. <laughs> but my point, <laughs> the point though is that if it were, were not for Ethan, I'm not sure if it would have uh, been as, you know, if it would have gelled as much just because he's such a good musician and could make, you know, pretty much anything work. But when mm -hmm. I mentioned, when I mentioned that similarity between you and I, as far as like Ethan being one of the first major organized bands that I was playing in, you know, I took a lot of things away from that. I didn't have much to compare it to, but to this day, I still use a lot of the lessons that I learned just being around Ethan. So, you know, my question for you is like, what, what are some of those influences um, musically that you took away from Ethan that you still use today? Cause I know you've been, you're a road warrior, you know, you've been performing for shit, dude, 20 years. I mean, you're a, <laughs> yeah. at this point, you're definitely a professional musician. You know, so I wonder when you're performing, what things in your head are you thinking? Oh, I got this from Ethan, or maybe it's automatic by now. But can you think of any of those things that you learned? Oh, 
so much all the time. Um, this is kind of a silly little thing, but um, I don't. I, I think a lot of people will who knew Ethan will remember this. But um, when he would, when he would uh, like hit a wrong note or something, when he was singing mostly, he would always, or if he did it on his bass, he would always raise his hand. First of all, when he screwed something up, he would always raise his hand, be like, it was me. <laughs> then, if he hit a wrong note vocally, he would take his fingers and he would kind of, um, I'm trying to think how I can describe this for our audio audience. And he would like twist them around his neck. Like he was tuning his neck, like you're tuning a guitar, but he would tune his neck. And that's how he would get hit the note but that was one of the things I took away I always loved that about him how he wasn't afraid to show people slash admit to his band and to the audience that like oh I hit a wrong note let's fix it mm -hmm. no and, and, and you can make a joke out of it you can just move on really quickly um he also I mean he would he would just sit there and just fill up his calendar with his with as many dates as possible and he would rarely say no to something i mean he would only say no to something if he had another gig booked already or just didn't have time to do it but he was he was always open to doing new things and to jumping into new projects and you know he wasn't there was no nothing there wasn't he could fill his time enough. You know, there, there was always room for something more and he would always balance that out because, you know, stuff comes and goes. And I think he knew that. So I got a lot of that from him. I mean, I, I really have modeled my entire career out, out of, off of what he was doing. I really have in every way. Um, you know, like I said, I gig four or five times a week. I can't really do more than that. Or my, my voice really starts to blow. Sure. Um, but uh, you know, I, and it, it's all these different projects. Sometimes I'm solo. Sometimes I'm a duo. One of the other things I got from Ethan, and I know you're talking about musical influences, but, and I'll move on to that, but is showcasing other people. Um, you know, I moved to Nashville for a while and I got to host these songwriter nights there, which were so cool because I could get to see all the local talent. And, and I built a little scene there just like, you know, our little scene in, in uh, Arizona at the time. And we had this was a similar thing, like all these people started coming around and everyone would jump up and sing with each other. And then now here in Ramona, I do the same thing. And, and I, I have a show. And if you're a musician and you come out to my show, you sure as hell are getting up in the microphone and singing something. And every musician in town knows that. They know if you come to a national show, you're going to get up and sing something, whether it's with me or I'll get you up to sing a couple on my break or whatever. And it builds camaraderie in a scene. There's not too much room for you. There's always space for you. And that is something I hands down learned for Ethan from Ethan and just, you know, the ability to lift people up. There's absolutely no need to cut anybody down. You can just build them up, like, especially musically speaking. Um, and then, yeah, musically, he, he introduced me to so many artists. You know, I heard Shelly talk about Mastodon. That cracked me up because, yeah, he would put on Beatles records and then he would put on a Mastodon record. And, you know, good music is good music, right? And that was another thing Ethan taught me. 
he, um, uh, you know, he, he showed me Wilco and, um, he showed me, uh, he was such a huge Joni Mitchell fan. He was a huge Joni Mitchell fan. And he got really upset with me once. Cause I was like, I'm not that much of a Joni Mitchell fan. He was really <laughs> offended. <laughs> and I, um, I, I am now it's funny. It's weird. Cause after he passed away, I started listening to more Joni Mitchell and I was like, okay, oh. man, I get it now. Yeah, I, see what I might you have mean. to give her a listen too. I didn't realize he was a, a big, I mean, he was a fan of so many things, you know, but yeah, if Ethan was into it, then it's worth exploring. So I should, I mean, I've heard her popular songs, you know, but I have to yeah. check out some Joni Mitchell. Well, yeah, those are great, great it. things to take from him. You know, and it's awesome that, you know, your first band was with him. It's like, it's like uh, gigging and performing one-on-one, you know, being around him. And it's, it's a great way to yeah. start. You know, it's a great way to start. And it's done you well. I mean, you've continued playing for all these years and you're still doing it and you're gigging often. And that's great. You know, you guys okay. played a lot of gigs together. Is there mm -hmm. a particular one that sticks out in your mind as your favorite or one or two? Well, the Wrigley Mansion CD release party was was really special. I remember for Delcoa. that. Night. Yeah, that was so we were so proud of ourselves. I mean, we I think we clocked like 500 people in the door or something like that. And maybe that's an overestimation, but I um uh, we were we were we had we worked so hard. I mean, we were out at the radio stations, and we were you know our friends all showed up to help us and sell merch, and um, you know our families were in the front row, just you know beaming from ear to ear. And we worked so hard on that album. Um, again, I'll save a lot of that for the Delcoa talk because sure. um, because I don't want to give too much away yet about that whole process. But it was the gig itself was really special and just, yeah, we'll, we'll never forget that one. There was, um, <clears throat> there was a time we went to, to Telluride and we, this was a, a J pool connection and he was like, Hey guys, Oh God, see, I'm telling too many Delco stories, but okay. I'll tell this one. Sorry guys. Table was like, Hey guys, we, um, I got this in this connection for the Telluride bluegrass festival. Let's go, let's compete. And Ethan was like, we're not a bluegrass band. And Jay was like, we can be though. And we were like, yeah, the rest of us. And so, and Ethan was like, we're not a bluegrass band. This is stupid. Why are we doing this? We're not a bluegrass band. He was the only one against it. And we, but he's like, I'll do it if you guys all want to do it, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> we went, we did it. We went to Telluride. And I'll tell you what, we had fun. Tony turned a banjo into a drum. He took the strings off and he used a, um, a, a, a brushes. Uh -huh. And then Jay Poole learned mandolin because he's Jay Poole. <laughs> he learned right. how to freaking play the mandolin for this and never played it before. Of course, he was amazing at it. And then Jay Allen didn't have to change much, nor did I. And then Ethan brought an acoustic bass, I believe. And we did the competition and the judges came up to us. And it's just a whole weekend. Ethan's like, we're not a bluegrass band. <laughs> so he just kept saying it. We're like, yay, we're going to tell your hide of the cute Ethan. We're not a bluegrass band. <laughs> we turned a couple of our songs into bluegrass feels. We did the competition. The judges came up to us afterwards and they were like, oh my God, you guys were amazing. 
Like that was really cool. You're just an awesome band. I mean, you're not a bluegrass band. (laughs) So so we can't move you forward, but we sure had a lot of fun listening to you. So Ethan was right about that. So that was, that was another one. Um, We got to do, you know, when Ethan and I started doing a lot of, a lot of duo stuff together as well, which was really cool. You know, we, we got to go to South by Southwest together and do some stuff and, um, and then one time we went to Sundance Film Festival and, you know, just just having fun. And and um, I'm sure, you know, a gig's going to pop into my head later that I forgot about right now. But maybe, again, we'll save that for the Delcoa talk because most of those will be with Delcoa. You know, another thing that's very cool, by the way, yeah, those are some great, great, great gigs to remember. But another thing I'm curious about now that I've been talking with, you know, a lot of people that have performed with that performed with Ethan is that he used to be like, he would maintain different forms of humor with each of those musicians, you know, like (laughs) there were inside jokes that he had and they were all different, you know, uh, with other people. So do you remember any of the like humor or inside jokes that started forming either if it's just between you guys or in Delcoa or whenever you played with them? Like he always found some way to have fun in the gig. Do you remember any of those um, inside jokes or Ethanisms that he would do when you performed with him? Well, one of my favorite things that he would do is he would take little snippets of all the original musician songs and he would just like, he would see somebody. And then like, if he saw me, he'd be like, Ashley, back out the room. <laughs> he would do like an invisible impression of me. And he would always hold the microphone, his fake microphone up to his mouth and like kind of <laughs> give his best, like, female swagger and then he would i remember one of my favorite ones was tyler nielsen he'd be like tyler such an easy target <laughs> every time that, or i think he had he would you know he did um uh you you always be like chris body is so old. and he always would dance back and forth <laughs> I don't remember what it was for Jay Allen, but he would just pick like a song and just do that every time he saw somebody like on or off the microphone. And um, yeah, that's something like if you don't know our original music, you'd be like, what is this guy doing? But he was so funny with his his impersonations of the musicians. And uh, um, oh, my God, there were so many inside jokes. Honestly, a lot of them have surpassed me. I mean, I think I heard Alan Chadwick talking about how silly um, Tate was in particular. Mm-hmm. How like Ethan and Tony in particular. God. And then you get Jay Allen in the mix. God, we would just laugh so hard all the time about everything. It was just the most joyful thing all the time. It was so, so fun. We, we had so much fun on the shows and in the studio, just all of it. Just a blast. Of course, there are some, you know, <laughs> some not fun times, just like anything. But um yeah, the 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 joyous experience of and the humor. And you know, he had a ex-girlfriend that he said would call him and just be like, I need to laugh, Ethan. Can you just meet me for a drink? I just need to laugh. And and I was like, yeah, I get that. yeah you know what i loved about his humor too was that you never i mean you always expected it because that was just 
how he was, you know, but I love how it would just come out of nowhere. Like we'd be jamming and then all of a sudden he'd be like, Hey, did you see that guy over there? And then he'd like say something funny or his stories, right? The stories he'd come back with from all the people that he jammed with. I used to love hearing him just tell these stories and he'd impersonate the people and he was so animated about it. Do you remember any of the stories that he would tell? I have one for you. Okay. Um, <laughs> again, I think uh, Alan was talking about Ethan's stalker. Yeah. And uh, this was this was a crazy thing. And, and he told me this story and, you know, Ethan, just a little backstory, you know, for those of you listening that don't know me, like Ethan was was has been a few things to me. And um, he was music mentor. He was a friend. He was a bandmate. And for a while we were for about four years of that. We were in a relationship, like a love relationship. We lived together. We were engaged for a little while and it didn't work out. And then after that, you know, we spent we spent a couple of years not talking after that, just as as you do. And then we were friends again and bandmates again, which was cool that we had that, um, that we ended on a high note, you know, but, um, during the time we were relation, we were in a relationship was when he had this stalker and she was pretty brutal. Like she would, and, and I mean, she was, she, there was definitely like, it wasn't just like, Oh, this chick is crazy. Like, no, she was really like not right in the head. Like she really needed some, some deep, psychotherapy i don't i don't know i'm not a therapist or a psychiatrist but i don't uh cut to ethan says to me hey i finally have this cop because he he tried he did take this to this to the police and they didn't often take it seriously as they don't um because well there wasn't a physical threat yet and also she was female he was male there were a lot of reasons so he found this this one guy that was like hey this sounds really serious. And he's like, yeah, you think like it's been going on for like a year at this point, maybe longer. And he goes, come on in. Um, let's, let's talk and put the, put everything down. Ethan goes, okay. So <laughs> he goes to the police station and the cop goes, well, do you have like a, and he's telling him about all these things that are on the computer too. And he goes, well, do you have proof of this? He goes, yeah, it's all over my, she got my email address. I have all these crazy emails and comments and Ash, this MySpace page she made for Ashley and with the scary as hell and all this stuff And the cops. He's like, I can show you, can, do you have a computer here? I can pull all of it up right now. And the cop gives him kind of a weird look and he's like, uh, and he, yeah. Ethan's like, okay. He goes, just give me a second. The cop disappears and comes back out. He's like, all right, come back and come in the back room with me. He sits down in the computer and there's two other people in this police department computer room and sitting next to Ethan was none other than Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> no way. Sitting at the computer. What? So Shaq, yeah, this is probably 2009 <laughs> and Shaq had just, maybe I get I, I timing is I don't understand timing but Shaq had just been signed to the Phoenix Sun, uh the Suns right right and I guess he was pretty famously known for coming when he would get signed to you know come to a new city he would volunteer for the police department mm -hmm. so he was volunteering for the police department and he was sitting at the computer next to Ethan 
And while Ethan's reading off all these emails and crazy messages from the stalker, Shaq's at the computer right next to him talking to the cop going, okay, at four, four o'clock, he wants to meet me with the drugs because they're, I don't know, some sting. I don't know. And then Ethan's at the computer next to him going, so then I want to take your intestines and wrap them around your neck and drive down the street. <laughs> Shaq's just looking over at Ethan like, what is happening? And then he's like, okay, yeah, he wants to, he wants to meet he wants to meet now. We got to go. We got to go. And this is just going on back and forth where Ethan's just reading off these messages and Shaq's setting up this, this operation or whatever. So finally, Shaq gets up, walks out the door, and Ethan's just feeling so awkward just having this at this computer reading off these things to this cop. Shaq walks out the door and all of a sudden it gets really quiet and the cop kind of taps Ethan. He's like, hey, and Ethan looks over in the doorway and Shaq's like leaning into the doorway, you know, because he's so big. <laughs> he goes, hey, man, you didn't see me, right? And Ethan goes, see what, man? <laughs> <laughs> only Ethan. He came home and told me that story. And I was just like, this would only happen to you. This would only happen to you. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why his stories were so cool, though, you know, because he'd find himself. And then. You know, there were a lot of famous people that lived in Phoenix or had been through Phoenix. You know, Alice Cooper, uh, Dave Mustaine, mm -hmm. I think, was out there. Jason Newstead, you know, and and Ethan being in the music scene there and so integral in that in the scene that he came across a lot of like famous people and performed for them or saw them in the crowd. And he had so many cool stories. But that is a crazy one, dude. He goes back there and Shaq's sitting there like, what? <laughs> Listening to his crazy stalker story. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. Um, that's a great story. Um, yeah. So with all the time that, you know, like you met, you kind of gave some background about you and Ethan. And so obviously you guys spent a lot of time together. And, you know, if you if you could kind of like mix it all together and and kind of surmise what you think Ethan valued most in life, what would you say? It was because you saw all his interactions with people, saw his love of music, you saw, you know, and living with him. Obviously, you saw how he lives, you know, his interaction with his family. I'm sure you got to know his family. But if you could take your whole experience of being in Ethan's life, what would you say he valued most? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I would I would think just connecting with interesting people and, you know, I think the biggest way he did it was through music. But, you know, if you look at, if you take a step back and look at what he was doing as he was collecting people, <laughs> yeah, he was collecting interesting people that he liked personally or musically. And I mean, whether that be, he played with you or you're a fan or of, of what he was doing or the project he was in. And he would, he would go, you're cool. I want to talk to you or you're, you're interesting. I want to play with you. And, and he was just making human connection. And, you know, he, I think Ethan understood a lot of things that, that maybe I didn't. And a lot of people did like, he would say things to me sometimes that were just so ahead of ahead of his time. And I mean, it, like to me, to, human connection is the most important thing. I think like that to me, 
that is everything. That's what we're here to do, in my opinion. And I think Ethan was doing it like way before I realized that. And he would say things to me. He would he would go. He would say this to me all the time. And I almost found it offensive, except for I knew there was something deeper there. Like he would say, Ashley, you haven't even hit your peak yet. You aren't even close to hitting your peak or your stride. Or I don't remember exactly what the word was. But um, and I, I and I would be like, what does he mean? He thinks I'm not that good yet, or he thinks I'm not. But what he meant is like one day you're gonna blow everybody away, is what he meant. And you're not there yet. And I would always be like, what do you mean I'm not there yet? Like, I'm totally there, you know, but I wasn't. I'm still I I don't know if I am now or not, but probably not. But um, but I know what he meant now, you know, mm-hmm. I know what he meant. Yeah. And I don't know if I can even explain it, but I listened back to me musically then and especially as a person, you know, grown yeah. a lot. Um, and uh I think uh, I didn't know much. I think that was his really nice way of saying <laughs> you're you're gonna be where you want to be one day, and you don't even know it, but you're not there yet. Like both musically and personally. Sure. And God, he was just full of those little. I, I wish I could think of more. I thought you probably know what I'm talking about. You just come out with these yeah. one-liners, like the most profound things. You're yeah. like, whoa. <laughs> Dude, well, while you're telling. Well, you're telling that story. I remember my experience with him doing something like that with me. And, um, you know, he's just so good at it because so like with you, you know, he basically had, well, what you're guessing because he's not here to tell us exactly what he was thinking. But what you took from that was that he in a nice way told you, you're not quite where you need to be, but you are going to get there. You yeah. Know? And then after maybe like, I don't know, a year or so jamming with him after a gig one time, he took me out to the desert to look at stars, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And then after that, he, and obviously this isn't verbatim or I'm I'm probably not doing it justice because I, I can't be as smooth as Ethan, but he basically told me that he, you know, he's like, man, you know, you're, uh, you're, you're talented, you're handsome, you're skinny, uh, you've got a lot of potential. He goes, but you know, you need to make sure that you stay grounded. Cause I've seen guys that let it get to their head, you know, and you, I can tell you're a good person, but I could also see the temptation for you, for your head to get big in all of this, you know, and you know, anyone who tells you, Hey man, I, I think that you could probably become an asshole, you know, and let all this get to your head. <laughs> um, so make sure you don't make sure that you stay grounded. Don't wow. do that. Like anyone else, you know, that would tell me something, I'd be like, what? <laughs> you know, fuck you, man. I'm not that way, you know, or whatever. Yeah. But, it, but he didn't do that. You know, he, he did it. And I can't even remember how he did it, but it always stuck in my head. And I remember anytime. And I think that's why I'm so um, reluctant. Like I mentioned earlier, how people have been complimenting us on our Christofoya band days. Mm-hmm. You know, and my initial reaction is to be like, oh, shucks, it was, yeah, that was fun, whatever, and move on from it and not accept, not accept the, you know, compliment. Cause I've, I've listened back to my episodes when I'm editing them. And, and I think like Shelly was very complimentary to us, you know, and, and especially me when I started playing with Ethan and that stuff. And I kind of bowled over it. And um, I remember Ethan, you know, telling me, that you should take the compliment because it's true. 
you know, even though he didn't, wouldn't take compliments, you know, he'd be like, Oh, it's you. And that kind of stuff. Yeah, but you're true. right, dude. He would see things in people and he had a way of expressing it to them in, in, in a way that was totally constructive criticism, wasn't offensive. And it felt like you were getting advice from a sage or something like that, you know? And um, I just wonder how many yep. other, and that might be a question that I add to when I'm talking to people because, and, and to care, you know, like who would jam with all these people and see things in them that you think should be better and a lot of us, I think, would be like, well, that's their issue. Like, they're going to have to deal with that, you know. But he cared enough about people to kind of try and help tell them what he was observing. That's so interesting that he was doing that. And it's just hitting me right now. That's why I keep talking about it. <laughs> but that's That is so profound. Wow. I like, uh, Chris, you've just always been the nicest guy. And you still are. And the fact that you're oh, doing this podcast is testament to that. And um, so and maybe we have Ethan to thank for that because maybe you would have gotten a big old head <laughs> if he didn't, but probably not. And, but I'll tell you this, he's still, he's still doing it. Like, I don't, I think a lot of us, um, I, I heard you talk on one of the episodes about, about dreams about Ethan. I've had three, um, I've had a lot of dreams, but three that were like really profound or really stick out in my mind. Um one, like right after he, he passed away, I was with Jay Allen in the dream and we had traveled through time and we got to go back to a Delcoa show and we got to play with Ethan again, but we couldn't tell him or anybody that we had traveled through time because there were these like dark figure, ghosty, um, demony things that if we um, talked about it to each other or tried to talk to somebody else about what was going on, they would start expanding and come closer and, and, and they were trying to, you know, kill us. And so we couldn't talk about it. And and then, but Ethan was there at clear as day. And I, and I'm going, Jay, we have to tell him, like, we have to tell him that, you know, maybe we can save his life if we just tell him what's going to happen. And Jay's like, we can't, we can't. And this shadow creatures are coming in and he's like, we cannot. And I'm sobbing and bawling my eyes out, you know, and like, and, you know, woke up bawling my eyes out. And then Ethan like walks he walks out in front of us talking about the stars and the moon. And yeah, that was, everyone's talked about that. That was Ethan's thing. The sun, the moon, stars, the sky. He was obsessed with it. And he would, he walked out in front of Jay Allen and I, and he, he goes, guys, look. And he points up at the sky and it's this huge starry sky, just covered stars everywhere. And he walks in front of us and then he just kind of disappears into the night. And I woke up bawling my eyes out and I was like, oh, Ethan's still around. And then I had another dream. This one's funny where he showed up and he talked to uh, my friend Liz lived with us for a little while. And she um, and he <laughs> we had a dream where she and I were in jail and, uh, and Ethan called us. And I, could, I, I heard his voice as clear as day. And he goes, you bitches, you get a holiday weekend together. And I just I woke up laughing. And then I had a dream. I was having a nightmare, actually. And, you know, I had some, I had a kind of a shitty ordeal happen about a year ago here in Ramona that, that you know, I pulled through just fine. But um, it was around that time. And I was, I, or maybe like six months ago, I had this dream. And 
I was, it was all this chaos going on that, that that real situation kind of came into my dream and it was scary and I was breathing really hard and, and scared about a certain thing. And all of a sudden Ethan pops into the dream and he grabs me and he looked so good. Like he looked perfect. And he was wearing that leather jacket and he grabs me and he goes, Hey, and everything stops. All the nightmare, the chaos stops. And it's just me and him. And he goes, I want you to know that I am still around. I am one of your angels now. I am looking after you. Everything you think is true about that. I am here and everything is going to be fine. And he grabs me and he gives me this huge hug. <laughs> And I, it just felt so real. And um, I just woke up and, it, you know, I'm crying now. I wasn't crying in the dream. I just woke up feeling like he's still here and he's still teaching us all lessons and how blessed we are to, if you if Ethan's come into your life, then you know how blessed you are to have known him and to be close to have been close to him and you know those lessons are going to keep coming those little those little one liners <laughs> you're still going to keep coming to even in your sleep <laughs> yeah yeah dude there are several people and i haven't focused on this a whole lot in the, but i mean um matt tenner has also experienced this. I know Mike Mercer's had dream, but Matt, Matt and I were supposed to talk, Matt Tenner and I were supposed to talk uh, a couple weeks ago and, you know, we had to reschedule for whatever reason, but we've talked on the phone a little bit and he said, dude, I heard your episode with Mike Hill and you mentioned dreams. He goes, I've had like three or four, like super vivid Ethan dreams and not necessarily after he passed away. Like even when he was alive, I've had a couple and I've had one since then. And um, there are some other people that have mentioned that to me too. And I've experienced it, you know, be, the, my dream, I was going to talk about this with Matt, but I'll just say real quick, the one dream that has the most impact on me, because I want to get into a little bit more of Matt Tenner, because he's really interested in, in that phenomenon. You know, it's happened with a lot of people that knew Ethan, for some reason, we all dream about him. And it's, it's not even necessarily that he's passed away, you know, like even before he passed away. So here was my thing. Um, I was, I was already living here in upper Michigan. This is like 2000, maybe 15, somewhere around there. I remember I had this dream and I was underwater walking around and the shore was very close. Like the water was right over just above us. And I had the feeling that Ethan was there, but I didn't see him necessarily, but I could tell that Ethan was around and there was like this glowing light ahead of me and it was casting light like a murky light on everything around me. And I remember turning around and all of a sudden I was standing on this huge cliff, staring into this huge abyss in the ocean. Now, anyone, if you don't know me, I'm terrified of the ocean. I'll still get in there. And I did scuba diving with my wife once in Jamaica and I kept it cool. <laughs> it <was> like, <laughs> but I didn't look around when I was down there looking at lobsters and all that stuff. If I had like stood and turned around and like looked at the abyss of that is the ocean, I would have flipped out. So I didn't do that. But in my dream, I did just, I turned around like that, this abyss. 
And I just, oh, dude, I, I got freaked out. You know, I was in a complete panic. I turned around and Ethan's standing there with a smile on his face. What? You know, his dimples and his eyes. Oh. And, and, he, and he had his hand held out. And I took his hand and instantly, dude, all the fear, everything went away. And I just was like so happy and, oh my God. and comfortable and I wasn't scared. And he was just smiling, holding my hand, you know? And then, so um, I remember I called him and I told him about the dream and he was, you know, he was like, wow, man, that's pretty heavy, you know, or whatever. And, you know, I hope that, uh, I hope that, you know, is something that can help ground you in the future if you're ever freaking out or whatever he goes, but yeah, you know, when there's, when you're facing an abyss, just chill, chill, be chill about it, you know? And so there are several times since then where like, if I wow. feel as if something I'm overcome by something, or whatever, I remember that dream and that feeling that I had in that dream and it was, they're vivid, right? They're like vivid dreams. It's crazy. <laughs> but yeah, um, like real vivid. Yeah, totally. It was like, it really happened. That's a cool, that's so cool that you got to tell him about yeah. that too, man. Yep. Yeah, there were two dreams yeah, I got to tell him about. Cool. One, that one and another one that I'm not going to mention on the podcast. Not that it was, okay. like, <laughs> not that it was creepy or pervy or nothing like that. It was just personal. And uh, Ethan okay. really loved it or whatever. But anyway, <laughs> dude, I appreciate you taking all this time to talk to me today. I've just thoroughly enjoyed listening to all your stories and your memories and I can't wait um, to get you together with Jay and Tony and Jay and really get into it, you know, because um, one thing that I've also been noticing while I'm talking to people is that, you know, just like all of us, you know, and, and as we're getting older and those those years get farther away, some of the details get fuzzy. But when you have someone that was there experiencing it with you, it's like it gets the synapses in your brain going, you know, and all of a sudden it opens up these memories and. So I'm really looking forward to it. I can't wait for that conversation. Um, but before we go, my last question for you today is, if you had one more day to hang out with Ethan, let's say you had, let's say tomorrow you could wake up and hang out with Ethan and have a day, an ideal day, what would it look like to you? Well, oh, a whole day with Ethan. I mean, of course, I'd love I'd love to have another conversation with him. I did. Ha I had a, I had a really nice conversation with him um, about a month before he passed, which was uh, I'm so glad. I think Alan said he got that, too, which yeah. is so nice. Um, a lot of people long... did. Yeah. Yeah. He was. Yeah, that's weird. Right. Like, I mean, I guess we did. We did talk like he would just call me at random just to tell me a funny story that reminded him of me. And, um, and he would, I, Oh, I, I just have to tell you the story and it'd sometimes be random. And, you know, I mean, Ethan and I have had a complicated, you know, history, but it's always been very positive at the same time and full of love. Mm -hmm. And, um, <clears throat> you know, he called me to tell me he got, married and I called him called him when I got engaged all that kind of stuff and then he called me when a stalker resurfaced <laughs> and then we just talked about some things and and I have like a thread of really nice text between us like kind of right before he passed which is really cool dad that I have that 
and just sweet messages back and forth. Like, I hope you're doing well, that kind of stuff. But, um, oh God, I would just love, I would love one more, one more night at the bar with Ethan, just sharing a cocktail and just talking about everything. Like I've done some really cool things in a self, this is selfish, I guess. But I would love, I want to share with him some of the cool things I've done. <laughs> it drives me nuts that I can't, like I got to play at the Musical Instrument Museum. And I know he has too, but like he would have been so proud. And like, not only that, but I'm doing all this work with, with women in music. Yeah. And, you know, like my, I have an all-female band and I also have a show called Songbirds, which features only female songwriters. And I do that, um, you know, I've taken that show to New York and, and to, um, and I've, it happens every month. We have a once a month showcase here in Ramona and now San Diego asked me to bring it to them. And I've done it at the MIM a couple of times now. And I think I would just love to sit and talk with him about that, like about women in music in particular and like, how come we're so underrepresented and that's not the word underrepresented. Why is it so hard right now? Underrepresented. Yeah, un- under yeah, underrepresented. Come on, you're a teacher. <laughs> Why is that so weird? No, I'm having a big part. <laughs> uh, un- unrepresented. But, unrepresented sounds wrong, right? Uh, aren't just it does, but I think it's right. Yeah, they aren't represented, and yeah, I I think we all. all right, well, whatever we all know what i mean and i would love i would love to have like a deep dive conversation with ethan about women in music and like i think he would have so much to say about it and i would and i've never gotten to have that conversation with him so i'd love to like sit down belly up at a bar and just talk about music and share stories and funny stories i mean ethan (laughs) ethan had stories about everybody and oh man if he's not if ethan's not like talking shit about you or or making fun of you whether that's behind or to your back or in front of your face he he just you you are not that special to him and i i think a lot of people will know what i mean when i say that except for you christopher he loved you he never said anything you had no stories nothing funny as far as i know (laughs) Like you're the one exception to that rule. But I mean, and even me, you know, I know the things he says said about me behind my back and in front of my face. And some of it was cruel. Some of it was funny, but I would just love to sit down and like share story, more stories about, about people. And that, yeah, just a whole day of like talking to Ethan would, and laughing would that's what that is so that would be my wish <laughs> i love your answer dude i think i'd like to do the same thing you know hearing you describe that i'm thinking yeah me too i would love to just sit yeah sit down at a bar and just talk shit with them you know and hear his stories and tell them you know about my life and oh man that would be cool what a great answer thank you ashley thank um, you so much chris yeah, I really appreciate your time. Um, and so very last thing, where can people, um, how can people keep up with you? Or if they're in your area, go see you perform. You know, do you have any plugs or anything you'd like to mention before we say goodbye? 
Yeah. Um, you can, my website is ashleyenorton.com or ladiespsychiatristsbooth.com. I just took my, my band to Nashville. We recorded a new album. So you can expect that to come out sometime in 2023. Very uh, cool. Lady, Lady Booth. I know it's kind of a f- funky band name, but we love it. And, um, and also the songbird shows makes sure, yeah, you can check out the songbird shows. There's a, it's the, Instagram and Facebook pages are just songbirds of music or songbirds of Ramona ranch. Um, those are just so magical. I have so much fun doing them and yeah. And I, you know, I still come back to Arizona a bunch and I've got some tours planned for next year. I think, I don't know. Some, yeah, every time I've like rescheduled a tour in the last couple of years, it gets derailed again. So <laughs> we'll see about that <laughs> for cool. obvious reasons, but yeah. So yeah. thank you. Thank you, Ashley. For your time I, I just thank you for doing this yeah of well of, of course thank you yeah it's um you know it's helping me as much as i hope it helps other people man he was just such a special guy so it's my pleasure to do it and if people are digging it right on you know um it's it's i love it it's helped me so much you know i i think i, I messaged you about this but um, it's it's actually been very difficult for me to listen to all these episodes because it, it brings up a lot of emotions. And um, uh, I think maybe a lot of people feel that way, but I'm forcing myself to do it because I end up laughing and crying and and yeah. all the things like missing all these people that so far you've had, I know everyone you've had on. I'm sure you're going to have some people I don't. And I'm really looking forward to hearing those too, because yeah, there's this, Ethan's a deep, guy and it's really cool to do this deep dive into his life and forces us all to kind of deal with you know whatever pain we still have lingering over the situation which i know is immense for so many so many people yeah it's heavy it's crazy i it's heavy it's yeah. a good weight it's a it's a good weight though you know yeah it is good weight <laughs> yeah. but it is heavy all right ashley well have a great day and I wish you continued success in your music career. And um, I'll see you at the Delcoa Roundtable. Can't wait. I can't wait for that. Thank Me you neither. so much. I'm excited. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. Have a good day. We'll talk soon. You too. Talk soon. Take care. All right. That was a great conversation with Ashley. I enjoyed listening to her stories and hearing some of her thoughts and insights into the many years uh, of her friendship with Ethan. If you'd like to keep up with Ashley, hear her music, or see her perform live, you can use the information that she provided during our conversation. Make sure to join me next week when I'll be speaking with Jason Johnson. Jason is a guitar player in the Phoenix music scene. And he also shares some wonderful thoughts and stories about his time and friendship with Ethan. I'd like to leave you today with a song that Ashley sings with the band Alcoa called Happy New Year. Thanks for joining and we'll see you soon.
Happy.